A couple months ago, I uh, got to go see my family, and whenever I go back home, I always stop to get my favorite pizza from this place in Toledo. It's called Halftime Pizza. It is my go-to, hands-down, favorite, best of the best. There's nothing like it. I mean, it takes me 40 minutes out of my way, and I do it every time. I buy a 16-inch pie just for myself. It's like 7,000 calories. I eat it in two days. I have no guilt or shame. I love it. It's amazing. And uh, I'd eaten through all of, all of it. I had two pieces left that I saved, and I saved the best two. I don't know if anybody else, like, saves the best two pieces in the box. Like, maybe you start with the best two, but the second best two you save so that your last experience is great. And I get home, and it's been a really long day. We pushed, like, it was 15 hours at church that day. I'm like, oh, I can't wait. My favorite pizza in all the world is at home. And I'm gonna, it's going to be delicious. Oh, it's going to be awesome. So I go, I grab it, I heat it up. And Abigail calls me back and asks me to look at something. And so I set it down, and I kid you not, it was, it was just perfect. All of a sudden, the air kicks on, and it must have been just enough weight. And all of a sudden, I hear, face down on the floor with my last two pieces of pizza. And I'm looking at it, and I go, oh, no. And what comes out of my mouth is the stupidest thing I could have possibly said. I said, oh, Lord, help me not to be mad at my wife. And immediately she goes, ah, why would you say that? <laughs> and it flipped to frustration right away. It is not my fault. And I'm like, it is not your fault. I know it's not your fault. That's why I'm praying what I'm praying. But the way I'm communicating that out loud is sure stupidity. I agree. <laughs> and I was so annoyed with myself. I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing? It's just pizza. I just ate, you know, 14 pieces of this pizza. I don't need the 15th and 16th piece. Well, when you learn a lesson in the Lord, you know, he always makes you make sure that you really learned it. And so fast forward a month, and I've gotten a whole other pizza. And this time I sit there, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to eat two pieces tonight. I'm going to save the whole thing. I'm going to have it all week. And we're both really tired. And Abigail's walking across the room. I said, hey, sweetheart, because she just started putting away her food. And I said, did you put my pizza away too? Well, she didn't hear me ask if she put my pizza away, too. She heard me say, is my pizza out, too? So fast forward 15 hours to the next morning, and it's been sitting out all night. And I look at it, and I go, oh, Lord Jesus. This is not something that I need. And my reaction the second time was much better than my reaction the first time. And I went, was that left out all night? Do you remember when I asked you if you had, she's like, oh, sorry, I misheard you. Like, just chipper as all get out, man. My wife is smiles and happy until someone else isn't, all the time. And I went, okay, it doesn't matter. Jesus must know that I don't need this, praise God. And I moved on. But see, there's something about when something else has power and control over you that's not how we're supposed to live as Christians. Making it more personal, my wife and I got into an argument once, and we were really going back and forth, and I was angry all day. Just bothered, man. Couldn't let it go. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, your marriage has too much power over you. It's like, shoot. So I'm kind of thinking about that with Jesus. And I'm trying to understand, and he said, anything that would require you to leave where you're seated with me in a heavenly place has too much power over you. Man. It's amazing that he seats us in a heavenly place at all because we don't deserve it. 
I mean, we really don't deserve it. I mean, you all probably deserve it, but I, <laughs> I do not deserve it. Jesus is amazing, and I'm always amazed by him. If you want to be turning your Bible with me, we're going to be starting in 1 Samuel chapter 4 tonight. Because I think there's something we can learn through 1 Samuel. Just about who God is. How he matters. Starting in verse 1, it says, At that time, Israel was at war with the Philistines. The Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer and the Philistines near Aphek. And Samuel's words went out to all the people of Israel. The Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. After the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp. And the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? What a question to ask. Why did the Lord allow this? Then they said, Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, um, it will save us from our enemies. So they sent men to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who was enthroned between the cherubim, cherubim, um, cherubim Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were also there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When all the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, their shout of joy was so loud it made the ground shake. What's going on, the Philistines asked. What's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told it was because of the ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is a disaster. We have never had to face anything like this before. Help! Who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Fight as never before, Philistines. If you don't, we will become the Hebrews' slaves just as they have been ours. Stand up like men and fight. So the Philistines fought desperately, and Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was great. 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. The survivors turned and fled to their tents. The Ark of God was captured, and Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. Now, if you want to scroll down with me to verse 19 or turn to verse 19, it says, Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near her time of delivery when she heard that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead. She went into labor and gave birth. She died in childbirth, but before she passed away, the midwives tried to encourage her. Don't be afraid, they said. You have a baby boy. But she did not answer or pay attention to them. She named the child Ichabod which means, where is the glory? For she said, Israel's glory is gone. She named him this because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and husband were dead. Then she said, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Now, this is a crazy story. Because up until this point, I mean, the, the ark of the covenant was God's presence. So anywhere it went, everything just worked out. <laughs> you had this, you win. That's what they're all thinking. And it still carries God's presence. It's still him. And yet, bringing it into battle isn't making the difference. And, man, the Hebrew nation can't figure out what in the world is going on. Now, you go through, to give you some context, the Philistines take that and they take it back to the, you know, their side of things, and everywhere they take the ark, all of them begin getting tumors all over their body. So 
you know, one city gets tumors, so they take it to another city. That city gets tumors, they take it to another city. That city gets tumors, and eventually they're like, we can't keep the ark. <laughs> this is not supposed to be here. What in the world should we do with this thing? So they go consult all their spiritual people, and they tell them to make a whole bunch of basically gold idols and say, hey, here's some, some tumors, so imitate the tumors on your body, make gold of that, and then you have this plague of, of mice, go make that, and then we're going to send it back. But we're not going to send it back with a person. We're just going to get two, uh, two cows, two calves that have never before had a cart on them. And we're just going to send them on the way and just see if they choose to take the ark back where it's from. I mean, imagine this picture. Everywhere you take this box, everybody is immediately breaking out in tumors. And then the solution to figure out if this is really the God of Israel or the way they said it, just coincidence is to send it off and see if the calves can find its way home, even though they've never been there. And they watch this and track it all the way to the border of where it's supposed to be. They're like, what in the world is this story? This is amazing. <laughs> see, God's presence was still there, but it wasn't how it was supposed to be. It wasn't where it was supposed to be. And so all of a sudden, you have all these people who are trying to act like it's some sort of prize to be won instead of a person to be respected. And God wasn't going to play along, which I think is just incredible. And I just, you go through this whole story. Excuse me, I just lost my place. So now we're in chapter 7. All of this has transpired. And the Ark of the Covenant just showed up. And when it shows up, people can't even interact with the Ark of the Covenant in the land again the way they should. And so they finally turned to Samuel, and starting in verse 3, it says, Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, If you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtoreth and worshipped only the Lord. I find it so amazing that they couldn't figure out why the ark wasn't working. See, they had the presence. The presence was still there, but in them, they didn't understand what it was. They couldn't identify that the ark of the covenant was something powerful, that it carried the presence of God, but they didn't know that they couldn't have idols in their life and worship something else and then also expect it, expect it to work. The presence of God had been relegated to this horrible place of, oh, yeah, well, when it's not working, we just go grab that, the easy button, and we just carry it out ahead of us, and then we win. God is who he is. He doesn't like the idea that we get to redefine him as something he isn't. He doesn't just exist for us to have victories. He doesn't exist just for our benefit. He is the Lord. He is holy. He's perfect. And we start acting like, I'm just on this fun spiritual journey and whatever. I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. I can, or let's modernize it. I can watch whatever I want, listen to whatever I want. I can act however I want. I can have work friends, church friends, family life, and they can all be a different version of me. 
all of a sudden our life doesn't make a whole lot of sense anymore. The Lord comes and he rescues Israel. He, he does a mighty work. The people come and they repent and they throw down every false and fake thing. It's amazing. And this one chapter later they go, okay, awesome, yep, the Lord is great. Now send us a man to rule over us. <laughs> it's the craziest thing. But this back and forth we're watching here is really written down for our benefit because it lets us have a bird's eye view of how we live. We just finished 21 days of prayer and fasting. And tonight I want to talk to you about how you can engage fasting and embrace fasting and everything you did in a way that means something. So you don't live in this cycle of back and forth, back and forth. I'm going to do it the Lord's way. I'm not going to do it the Lord's way. Well, I'm going to do it the Lord's way until I lose. Then I'm going to try and do it kind of like the Lord's way, like involve him, but not lay down the things in my life that are really broken and shouldn't be there. A couple years ago, the Lord said to me this way. Sometimes we fast things that are really idols. And then after we finish a few weeks of fasting, we go back and worship them again. John had a great way of describing idols, and it's, it's so funny. It's in 1 John chapter 5. It's the last verse. And it actually doesn't make any sense to put it in there. If you read everything else prior to it, he's talking about the Son of God. He's saying all these things, and it's like he just wanted to leave them with an important closing thought. Some translations say, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. The New Living says it this way, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. An idol is anything in your life that takes the place of God in your heart. It's so easy, isn't it? Isn't it? Praise God. Welcome to Ohio. Isn't it? <laughs> It's so easy to get caught up in the world and, and rely on something. I say it to people this way. What do you run to when you're sad, lonely, hurt, tired, worn out? What do you run to? Because anything you run to that's supposed to be Jesus but isn't, either is or is becoming an idol in your life. That's it. Sometimes we fast things that are good for us to do for a season, and we learn a lesson in that season, and we change, and we carry it off different. We're transformed. We're made new. We actually burn the idols of the past, and we leave them behind, and we step into a new life, which is how it's supposed to be. I've had things in my life where I go back and forth, and I've had seasons where it's like I have entertainment in my life. I've had seasons where I have nothing in my life. I've had seasons where I have a little bit of both. But there's something about when it's, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning and you just can't resist hitting the next episode on Netflix and letting it just keep running. But you know that what is coming tomorrow matters a whole lot more than whatever they have to say in the story that maybe you should pause and go, is this really healthy? Like, am I okay? <laughs> when all of a sudden the video you started watching of your niece or nephew turns into a three-hour sprint from one video on Facebook. And don't they just help feed it to you? Isn't it awesome? Now it just auto-plays. Incredible. 
And even though you start out with your niece and nephew, now all of a sudden you're on some track about the conspiracy th theory of the week. Is there a dome? Is there not a dome? Was the election rigged? Was it not rigged? And by the way, I, I don't actually care. I just want Jesus. <laughs> so if you want my opinion, I don't care. King Jesus is all I got. It's really easy to get sucked into all the lies and all the twistedness, especially in years like this. Man, I've gotten probably eight political updates on my phone that I didn't ask for. Apple News just gives it to me just in the last few days. And we're in January. We're not even in October yet. <laughs> we're November. The Israelites didn't prepare their hearts in advance for the battle. They didn't figure out if they were healthy or not before the fight came. They thought it was okay to know that God could bail them out and win the victories when they didn't know what else to do and also worship whatever else they wanted. That's how you get into the fight, and 4,000 people near you die. Now, in that, it's a real fight. It's actual death next to you. But in our lives, sometimes it looks more like spiritual death in a family member or a coworker who doesn't hear about Jesus or that neighbor who doesn't really think that you believe anything you say. In my own life, I have experienced again and again and again as I was learning to follow Jesus, what it was like to be the Christian who really genuinely pursued him but could never get to the point that I could lay down myself. Never. And for me, it was always competition. Anything competitive. I mean, it was like, if we're playing pickup anything, I don't play basketball well, but if we're playing pickup basketball, I will get every rebound. I'll miss four shots, but I'll get every rebound. Every single guy I played with would shove me across the room at least twice because he's like, get off of me. That's just how I played. I wanted to push as hard as I could. And I'm talking about Jesus before we play, while we're putting our shoes on, getting ready, all this kind of stuff. He's awesome. I love him. He changed my life. And then we get out there, and I play like a madman. More caught up in something that doesn't matter than anything else. Eventually, the time came when I had to make a decision. This just doesn't matter. <laughs> this isn't important. None of the things that I'm doing with my life right now are any of the things that matter eternally, so it just doesn't actually bear any weight. Why am I affected by this? And then you realize that you can make yourself an idol. You can worship yourself. I am this. I'm good enough. If you would try harder, if you would run faster, if you could, if you could, that arrogance that says everyone around me is my problem but never me. It's so easy, isn't it? And it sounds so good. Have you ever noticed that you'll go off and spend time with Jesus or you'll fast and then like the Lord says all these things to you and you're going to change and then fast forward like a month and all of a sudden you find yourself like, did the Lord really say that? You know, the last person who asked that question was a snake in a garden. Just saying. I've had the Lord say things to me in my life I just don't enjoy. I wish he wouldn't say them because it makes my life harder. It makes it more difficult to follow. 
at least in the moment. On the other side, it's always worth it, every time. There's someone else who decided to fast, and it changed them because they encountered great difficulty, and it really helped him step into everything he was made to be, and his name was Jesus. Fasted for 40 days, led into the wilderness, not by some weak spirit, not a, you know, not even a this kind comes out through prayer and fasting, the devil himself. Weary and worn out in body. Offered everything the world could give. And for our sake, he's sitting there going, I'm not interested. <laughs> the Bible says that he went out after that in power. It was after that time of fasting that Jesus entered into the world with power. It's when he revealed himself in a new way. Fasting should transform you. Empty some things out that aren't supposed to be there, and some of those things should stay out so that more oil can be in your life. I'm, I'm, firm, I'm of the firm belief that there's one anointed one in all of the world. His name is Jesus. I don't believe that televangelist so-and-so is the, is the new anointed. <laughs> I don't believe I'm the anointed. <laughs> there's one anointed one. His name is Jesus. He just happens to live in your heart. And he carries all the fire of the Holy Ghost, all the power, everything, everything you need for every challenge you have at work, for the most difficult employee, for the person you cannot make friends with. He has the answer. He actually knows. You have access to everything that he is. The Bible says that we receive from him every spiritual blessing. I just believe the word with all my heart. So whenever my life doesn't line up with that, I go, okay, I'm the problem. Because Jesus is never the problem. And the word is never the problem because it's the word of God and it's truth. So then why isn't it working? What's wrong with me? Now, I believe this, and I'm, I'm sharing with you because I remember what it was like being in the position where you're going, okay, that's awesome. And I want to advocate for that, but I'm not seeing that fruit in my life. Congratulations, Jesus said in this world you'll have trouble and you'll face persecution. Isn't that awesome? It's like he wants you to choose heaven over the earth. That's what fasting is. It's us choosing heaven over the earth. I don't need sweets as much. I don't need TV as much. I don't need music as much. I don't need pop as much. I don't need whatever this is. I don't need social media as much as I need Jesus. I'm choosing heaven over to earth. That's what fasting is. I remember talking to people about how awesome Jesus was and about how he can heal and set free and transform and, and move a whole life and make everyone new all while I'm trying to be made new and everyone's looking at me across the table saying, that's great. What have you seen? I look back at my life, that was just seven, eight years ago. All those conversations, getting together with buddies from high school, sitting down with them, telling them about the grand total, two things I've ever seen God do, nothing of which came through me, just things I saw with other people. <laughs> it works for them, not for me, but it's real. Trust me. And them looking at me like I'm nuts. 
I've met some of those same people since then. And I don't talk to them the same way anymore. Hey, how you doing, Josh? Good to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Doing awesome. My wife and I saw three blind people see this year, praise God. And he just kind of, what? <laughs> see, when you work the word, it works. Pastor Brian, like, lives in this. Every time he speaks, I think he says at least three times, it's the guidebook for life. Just live in it. Just do it. At some point, you've got to make a decision that nobody can convince you different. That you're not just waiting in the wings for some experience or some moment to come convince you. We read about the Israelites, and they were dependent on Samuel to make everything better. He had to go do their sacrifices. He had to tell them what to change. He had to tell them what to walk through. He had to do all of it. Oh, my goodness. It would be horrible. We don't live in that time now. The veil's been torn. The Son of God wants to live inside your heart. He wants to be the king of your life, whose only purpose is to grow you into a full expression of heaven's beauty so you can see what life can really be. It's awesome. There's nothing better in all the world, I promise. Venus, if you could come play. I have spent a lot of my life around Christians. I mean, a lot. <laughs> and I've served a lot in church. I mean, enough that the last church we were at, one day I counted up the hours. And I figured out that if I just worked minimum wage with those hours, I could have bought a house in cash. Because I was at the church so much. I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade stacking chairs or building backdrops. I wouldn't trade crying out to Jesus when I felt like no one else was. I wouldn't trade my knees hurting because of the rug was ripping into my kneecaps because I'd been there so long, but I knew God was trying to get something in me. And 15 more minutes was worth it. I wouldn't trade laying down my idols, my worship to sin and brokenness and, and twisted up filth, my weird compromised heart coming so out of sin that like I, I was so twisted before I got saved and so entrenched in sexual sin and pornography that when I got into Christendom, I thought it was okay, like legitimately, my first six months of Christianity was me like, oh yeah, it's totally fine to like look at naked people in movies. They want to be there. Like they get paid to do this. They're excited about it. So it's okay. It's not human trafficking. It's just, you know, it's fine. It took a long time for me to get to a place where I went, I am participating in the destruction of a human soul. you. All of a sudden your heart starts shattering like Jesus and your 
your will just bows before the king and you go, I don't know anything. Too many of us as Christians settle for this heartbreaking place. We're willing to do what Saul did. You keep reading in 1 Samuel, there comes a moment where God says, go destroy this whole nation. Wipe them out completely. Save nothing. Save nothing. Completely obliterate it. And Saul saves all of the best stuff. And he says, I'm going to give this as an offering to God. And Samuel comes and rebukes him. And this is where we get the verse from that says, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. And I think we sometimes miss the rest of those verses. But they're amazing. They said, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. It goes on and says, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. And stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. You scroll down and, and Saul accepts that he's failed. And he's weeping for a second chance. But God has already decided to anoint David king. And Samuel has to deliver these words. He said, and who is the glory... And he who is the glory of Israel, speaking of God, will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not human. I'm thankful that we have a high priest who can empathize with our weakness today. I'm thankful that our life isn't like Saul's that he calls us co-heirs in the kingdom of God, even in the midst of our failures. But that does not mean that we should miss the lesson that's taught here about how righteous and holy and perfect he is. He deserves everything. I wish I could tell you that, like, the level up <laughs> in Christianity comes just by hanging out and being willing to give a sacrifice on your terms, your way, however God wants. It's not. It's not. If you want to know the reason why the whole rest of the world can get ahead of the American church is because they're willing to pay any price. That's it. They believe Jesus is who he says he is, and if he's king of heaven, he deserves it all. And we are not debating about that. There is nothing in my life too sacred. There is no idol that I hold that I will not lay down for him. It's the difference. Why isn't our church overflowing? 
And people ask this question, and like it's, it's somehow as pastors, we're supposed to give you some magic answer. Oh, we just haven't developed a good enough strategy yet. You know, the real answer is the hearts of the congregation at large have not yet shattered enough that every person who walks by them needs Jesus more than they need air. That's it. said this to me the other day. He said, we live in a generation that looks down everywhere. And everyone that we need to minister to is where we need to look up. And we're too busy looking down to see any of them. You know, every time I fast my phone for anything that I don't need it for, I see people get saved and set free and healed because I'm not checking the time when I'm bored. Because I'm not clearing my notifications out. Because I'm just caught up in the kingdom of God every second. And when I get bored, I go, oh, I can pray in the spirit. Maybe God will show me something in heaven. This is awesome. Maybe I'll have fellowship with the king of kings and lord of lords, and he'll whisper something in my heart that I can say to my wife that will just lift her spirits. Oh, that's worth half an hour. of Jesus' ministry when he had the most followers. He gave the hardest word. <laughs> he said, my body is real food and my blood is real drink. Eat my body and drink my blood. <laughs> and everybody's like, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept that? And they all leave except his nearest disciples. He looks at them and says, are you going to leave too? Jesus, and they answer back to him and they say, Teacher, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. In that moment, Jesus was being ostracized by the public. He said something that burned any good standing he had with the majority. <laughs> he had a tendency to do that. Just needed some who would make a choice. You have everything that you need inside of you to lay down every idol, to no longer worship any false god, to return to the Lord with all your heart, and just let Him carry you along, hanging out with Jesus every second. Before we end tonight, I just want to make space for you to find a place in the room and talk to the Lord about what you fasted over the last 21 days. And if you didn't participate, ask me if there's anything you should start fasting. <laughs> you don't have to wait for next January to fast something. It should be a normal part of your life. You're a Christian. It's what Christians do. Ask the Lord who you can share him with. It's what Christians do. Ask the Lord how in your schedule, in your life, you can spend time with him. It's what Christians do. <laughs> You're a Christian. <laughs> I 
act like a Christian. <laughs> it's a novel concept. I know. But the word works. Jesus works. I have never, never given anybody the Spirit of God with none of me in it. had them just utterly reject and hate and man the spirit of God is mighty <laughs> I've talked to lots of people <laughs> I know where you're at I've been there I've sat in that seat I've heard this on your end a lot of times and it's always hard of something I think is from Dwight L. Moody. It's a crazy quote. Someone was asking about his life. They were reflecting on it. And they said, what is it that, that drove you in your life? What made your ministry so, so expansive? What made it work? And he said, well, I just decided I wanted to see what God could do with one life that always said yes. just wanted to see what God could do with a life that always said yes. You have 10 minutes left, and I encourage you to leave your seat. It helps. Sometimes we try and, like, make space for you to do whatever you want. I'm just going to tell you what makes it easier to get closer to Jesus. And you do whatever you want with that getting somewhere else, walking, getting to an altar, it helps. Because it makes you have to say, I'm changing. I'm changing. So what would it look like if you made a choice in you? I just want to know what God can do if I just always say yes. That's what I want for my life. Adenis will continue to play, but please feel free to move. I'm going to be. Lord Jesus, would you come help us? Father, as we come seek your face, I ask right now that you would do something inside of our hearts tonight, God, that puts the spiritual forces of darkness in Dublin on notice. a church body in the United States that makes a decision. I want Jesus more than anything in life. That when we sing those lyrics, I don't want anything else, I don't want anything else where they never be a lie on our lips. so much more. Help us. <laughs>